the Son of Man coming in clouds. That simple statement points to the grand finale of human history and the grand finale of God's eternal redemptive plan. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. When you consider what will happen after the future seven-year span known as the Great Tribulation, is there any hope for those who are not in Christ? Is anyone beyond the grace of God? Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part 13 of his series titled, The Future According to Jesus. We're in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, in the famous two-part sermon known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus explains the future. So far, you've learned about the events leading into and during the unparalleled seven-year time span known as the Great Tribulation. In today's program, you'll discover what occurs after the Great Tribulation. Post-tenebrous lux, after darkness, light. Be prepared to be astonished at what Scripture reveals will occur. Here's Tom now on The Word Unleashed. The Gospel of Jesus Christ ends with a grand finale, a finale that we call the Second Coming. The hope of the second coming is not based on wishful thinking, it's not based on intuition, it's not based on logic, it's based on the clear promises of Scripture. And understand this, the second coming of Jesus Christ is a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. To deny it is to put yourself outside the pale of historic Christianity. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to Jesus' second coming. It's mentioned more in Scripture than Jesus' first coming. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and all of the major confessions of the church speak of Christ's return. The testimony of the early church speaks in a united voice affirming the reality of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You look at the various statements, all the way back to the first non-biblical, the oldest extra-biblical Christian document that exists, the Didache, written shortly after 80 AD, says, The Lord shall come and all His saints with Him. Then shall the world see the Lord coming upon the clouds of heaven. The epistle of Barnabas, written in the last part of the first century, says, When his son comes, he will destroy the wicked one and will judge the godless, will change the sun and the moon and the stars, and then he will truly rest. You forward on to Justin Martyr, the early part of the second century, Here too, how he was to ascend into heaven according to prophecy, and how he should come again out of heaven with glory. Irenaeus writes, When this Antichrist shall have devastated all things in this world, he will reign for three years and six months, and sit in the temple in Jerusalem, and then the Lord will come from heaven in the clouds in the glory of the Father, sending this man and those who follow him, into the lake of fire. All of these within the first 200 years 
after our Lord. Now, when does this event that's so fundamental to our faith occur? At the beginning, you have the rapture, sometime before the man of sin is revealed, sometime before the tribulation period begins, the church is gathered out. At the end of this seven-year period comes the second coming. Now, when you compare the rapture and the second coming, this is what you get. With the rapture, there is no hint of judgment. The second coming, it's all about judgment, or not all about, but there's an emphasis on judgment. There are no warning signs before the rapture, while dramatic signs precede the second coming. The rapture is about the rapture of living believers, but there's no mention of the rapture of living believers in connection with the second coming. There's the resurrection of dead believers in the rapture, but there's no mention of the resurrection of dead believers with the second coming. Before the tribulation comes the rapture, after the tribulation, the second coming. In the rapture, Christ comes in the air. In the second coming, Christ returns to the earth and actually puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, according to the prophet Zechariah. When he comes in the rapture, he comes for his saints. When he comes in the second coming, he comes with his saints. The rapture is to take the saints to heaven. The second coming is to defeat his enemies and establish his kingdom here on this earth. That's the difference between the rapture and the second coming. We are talking about the second of these, the second coming, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at it from Mark's gospel. Mark 13 is commonly called the Olivet Discourse. And in this famous sermon, Jesus explains the future. So far, we've studied the first two sections. We've looked at the beginning of birth pangs. This is in verse 5 to verse 13. All of these things occur throughout church history, but in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, they occur with a greater frequency and intensity as the end draws near. False Christ, war, natural disasters, intense persecution, and the gospel spreading around the globe. The second part of this sermon concerns the period that's called the Great Tribulation. This covers the three and a half years from the midpoint of the tribulation to the second coming. That period, that three and a half years, is initiated by an event called the abomination of desolation. It's when the man of sin, as Paul calls him in 2 Thessalonians 2, as he's also referred to as the Antichrist in the book of Revelation, this man establishes a covenant with Israel at the beginning of the tribulation period. At the midpoint, according to Daniel 9, he breaks that covenant and... He establishes himself as an object of worship. He causes the sacrifices in a rebuilt temple to cease, and he makes himself the the focus of worship. That begins that second three and a half years. It is marked by the persecution of Israel, and specifically of those in Israel who have come to believe as a result of the gospel that we preach during that time. It is a time of unparalleled tribulation. There's never been a time like it, Jesus says, and there never will be a time like it. It is completely unparalleled, but it is shortened for the sake of the elect. Those who come to Christ during the tribulation 
He is concerned about them, and He shortens it for their sake. It was eternally shortened to that three-and-a-half-year period. It is a time filled with spiritual deception. As people try to convince even believers, Satan mounts a last-ditch effort to convince even believers to follow a false Christ. That's the Great Tribulation, the second three-and-a-half years. Now tonight, we come to the third part of the Olivet Discourse, and it's the second coming. Look at it in Mark 13, verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken." Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send forth the angels and will gather together His elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Here we have the event to which all of history has been building. Notice that verse 24 begins with the word, but... It marks a transition, a crucial transition really, a transition between the appearance of the false messiahs that Jesus has just said will appear and try to mislead the elect, and the future appearance of the true messiah. Just because most of those who claim that messiah has come again will be frauds, don't think for a moment that means that the true messiah will not come. Jesus says, but... In contrast to that, I will come. Now, let's take this passage apart and let's begin with the timing of the second coming. Jesus has made it very clear during his ministry that no one knows the exact time of his return. Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. In Acts, you remember, just before the ascension, the the disciples were trying to get Jesus to tell them, when is it going to be? They were saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. You don't know when I'm going to bring in and usher in the end. Although no one knows the exact timing of the second coming, at the same time, in this very sermon, Jesus identifies certain clues to its timing. Notice verse 24. But in those days, that is in the general time period that Jesus has been describing, after that tribulation, at the end of the seven years of tribulation described in verses 14 to 23, Matthew makes the timing even clearer. In Matthew 24, 29, he says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. That's when the second coming will occur. At the end of that period that we call the tribulation. Now, Jesus moves on to identify the signs that are connected to the second coming. In Matthew, Jesus refers to his second coming like this. Just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, when it happens, you're not going to miss it. It will be visible to everyone. 
So how is God going to make sure that no one misses it? To make sure that everyone knows it's coming. And the answer is through a series of cosmic signs. Look at Luke 21. See how Luke describes it. Luke 21, verse 25. Then there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on earth dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming. They're going to be these great cosmic signs. Not a single person on the planet will miss it. In fact, Luke tells us some will be so frightened by the terror of what they see that they will experience heart failure. These signs will come at the end of the tribulation and immediately precede the second coming. Now, look back in Mark's gospel, chapter 13, and look again at the verses I read for you. Verses 24 to 27. Notice in our translation how much of that is capitalized. That's because these are quotes taken from the Old Testament. As was his habit, Jesus is basing his teaching on the Old Testament Scriptures. As one author puts it, Jesus is grounding the hope of his disciples solely in the prophetic word. Now, in verses 24 and 25, Jesus explains that his future coming is going to be preceded by these signs, by catastrophic cosmic disturbances. What are these signs? First of all, the sun darkened. Verse 24 says, in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Jesus could be quoting any number of Old Testament texts. There are a number that speak to this, and I'm not going to take you back through them. What's going on here? Some consider these verses to be purely figures of speech that describe political upheaval, for example, is one commentator's idea. That's far-fetched. Although it is possible that there's symbolic language in Jesus' descriptions here of what happens to the universe, at the same time, keep in mind, Jesus is describing real, objective events. And the language he chooses is the best language to describe those realities. So when Jesus says that the sun will be darkened, he means either that somehow God will supernaturally diminish the sun's light output, or he means that from our vantage point, from the vantage point of earth, it will appear that the sun has been darkened because he will cause some cataclysm on earth that causes the rays of the sun not to reach this planet. But regardless, he's going to intervene miraculously. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but obviously, It's going to mean that on earth, it appears as if the sun is not functioning properly. Now, there's a remarkable similarity between what Jesus describes here and the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. You remember that title deed to the earth and the lamb 
breaks the seals, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the title deed to the earth. And each of those seals, as Jesus breaks it, it's as if judgment then comes as a result of that on the earth. He is taking back what belongs to him. The sixth seal, when he breaks that, brings catastrophic earthquake to the planet. Here's how it reads in Revelation 6.12. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The fact that the two were connected may mean, in fact, that this earthquake that surpasses all of the earthquakes that have occurred so far produces volcanic ash and soot from volcanic eruptions that follow that huge earthquake, and it blackens out the sun. That's possibly what he's referring to. Now, the logical result, we we don't know exactly the answer, but this may be it. It may be that the sun being darkened is the result of these catastrophic events God causes to happen on the planet. Earthquake that sets loose a string of volcanic eruptions. Those volcanic eruptions spew ash into the air, and it literally blackens the sky. The logical result of this, of course, leads to a second cosmic disturbance, and that is that the moon is darkened. Whether the sun itself is darkened or whether something in our atmosphere obscures our view of it, the same reality will obviously affect the moon because the moon is reflecting the light of the sun. And so in verse 24, Jesus says, and the moon will not give its light. Again, the similarities between Revelation and this are Interesting. Revelation 6.12 goes on to say, the sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood as a result of that great earthquake. So it may be that all of this is tied together. The third sign that's described is that the stars fall. The stars fall. Look at verse 25. And the stars will be falling from heaven. In the Greek language, the description here is graphic, and the English translators have tried to capture it. The tense highlights the duration of time as star after star falls. Now, what does Jesus mean? There are two possibilities. Again, both would be miraculous intervention. God is causing these things to happen. One possibility is that he's referring to the actual star's out in the heavens, and that those stars will leave their rotation and veer off into space so that they appear to people on earth as if they are falling. It may be that he loosens the planetary orbits and the stars go streaming out into space, appearing to fall as we see shooting stars, as we call them. The second possibility is that he's describing the result of meteors hitting the earth. The earth may be showered with meteors. And and I think that that may be the most likely explanation because of what is described again in Revelation. If you carefully examine the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, that three series of judgments in groups of seven that are unleashed on the world during the tribulation period, you see meteors and the results of meteors described 
in those. Let me just give you a couple of examples. We're not going to go through all of them, but let me just give you a couple of examples of this idea of stars falling. If you were to look at the sixth seal, verse 13 says that stars will fall, and this is Revelation 6.13, and that the sky will split apart. The Greek word for stars can identify any celestial body. It's probably meteors. And the sky splitting apart probably means that the meteor impacts will be so great that it will literally self-destruct the earth's atmosphere. Verse 14 goes on to say of Revelation 6, every island and mountain will be moved and probably that means the earth's tectonic plates will begin to shift. This will be unimaginable. If you fast forward to the second trumpet judgment, another meteor is implied there in Revelation 8, 8 and 9. It ignites in the atmosphere, and upon impact with the earth, it creates a huge tidal wave that destroys a third of the world's ships, according to Revelation, both those at sea and by inundating those that are in various docks around the world. And as a result of all of this, Revelation says the sea became blood. Could be literal. God could actually turn the sea into blood. He's certainly capable of that. Or it might be, as some have suggested, an event caused by the death of millions of tiny organisms as a result of the meteor shower. And if so, it would result in that. So that could be the result as well. If you look at the third trumpet in Revelation 8, 10 and 11, The fresh water is made bitter. All of earth's fresh water is made bitter because a great star, it's described, could be a comet or another meteor. As it enters the earth's atmosphere, it shatters into many pieces, falls to earth, and poisons a third of the earth's fresh water supply. So the bottom line is there will be stars falling from heaven. Jesus goes on as he describes what's going to transpire, the signs of the second coming. Not only will stars fall, but the powers of heaven, verse 25 says, will be shaken. It's possible that this fourth line is really a summary of the three previous lines. But I think the construction in the Greek language makes it more likely that this is a fourth kind of cosmic disturbance. The Greek word for shaken here occurs in Acts 16. You remember when Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi in Acts 16, and there's an earthquake that that causes the doors to open and they're released? This word shaken is used at that earthquake. So the idea here is that the heavens themselves are shaken as by an earthquake. It's like there's this great universal heavenly earthquake. It's pretty interesting when you think about it. You remember how the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus? He is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. All it would require is for Jesus to simply speak, and the gravitational fields that keep the universe in alignment would weaken, and the stars and planets would careen from their courses. The powers of heaven being shaken. By the way, this same idea also appears in the book of Revelation. You can see this in several of the judgments there. If you look at the fourth trumpet, Revelation 8.13 speaks of the heavens being struck and a third of the sun, moon, and stars are affected. 
It could be that Revelation is saying the day-night cycle will be altered, or it could be that God will supernaturally diminish the intensity of those bodies, radically altering the earth's climate. We just don't know. But clearly, the powers of heaven will be shaken. If you look at the fourth bowl judgment, those bowls are not like cereal bowls. Instead, picture a flat plate, kind of a flat bowl that it's easily dumped, and it pictures God's rapid judgment upon the earth at the very end. And when you look at the fourth bowl, Revelation 16, 8 and 9 describes the sun scorching men, true global warming. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 13 of his series, The Future According to Jesus. Tom will have part 14 for you next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Plan to join Tom Pennington this summer, June 24th and 25th at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas, as he introduces the Word Unleashed's first annual Faithful Stewards Conference Series. Faithful Stewards is designed for pastors, elders, teachers, and church leaders. But even if you aren't in one of those categories, you're welcome to attend. This year's theme is Loving Christ by Feeding His Sheep, a reflection on our Lord's challenge to the Apostle Peter as found in John chapter 21. There's no cost to attend, but registration is required. June 24th and 25th. Go to thewordunleashed.org to register. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.